whistleblower report exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America with part two of our program with David Rogers Webb, author of The Great Taking, on what is happening and what has been happening over the last hundred years that leads to the global totalitarianism and global tyranny that we are seeing today. And what are some of the missing connections that most people don't know? And we were finishing up the discussion of the last program with how the United States State Department and CIA and how the central banks are connected at the hip with the global war machine and many ways in which all of this has been integrated to work together to control the world. And I know that Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe from Sweden has made some interesting observations about some of the central banks that have disappeared in recent years. Jonathan, would you talk with us about how your observations tie in to what David Rogers Webb has been talking about? And then I'd like to bring in Andrea Klarich and his observations from Croatia about what's happening with the farming protests across Europe tied in with the fact that global control of big corporate ownership of farmlands is actually leading to dire concerns about controlling our food supply. So, Dr. Gilthorpe, your comments. Yes, Dr. Lee. Well, I, I thought it was very interesting when David brought up early on about the, you know, the way that the money creation through the central banks is closely allied with military power through the army of that particular country. And Obviously, since World War II, the U.S. has been the major military power and the major empire on the globe, um, infiltrating almost all countries. And, you know, for this system, this great taking to happen, you know, presumably these the, the U.S. system or the, the system that exists needs to also take control of central banks of countries that, that you know, aren't under the same umbrella as the ones that are. Yeah, that most countries are. And, and that's, you know, Afghanistan. In, sorry, back in 2000, there were nine countries that didn't have a, a Rothschild family controlled central bank. And that was Afghanistan, Iraq, Sudan, Libya, Cuba, North Korea, Iran, Syria and Venezuela. And since 2000, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, Sudan, Libya have all been the subject of U.S. led 
military takeovers or Anglo-American. And the ones that remain, I mean, Cuba is sitting there off the US coast. North Korea is under constant pressure from US sanctions. Iran as well, and Syria fighting for their lives. Uh, and Venezuela, which has also been the subject of a kind of soft coup, I think, in the last few years. Um, I don't know how it's going in Venezuela, but it, you know, it seems that the US military engine has been aimed at taking over these countries that had central banks that weren't allied with the US system. I just wondered if, if David had any thoughts about that. Because yeah. this is also hard evidence I mean, from, from my point of view. I agree completely. Uh, there's a long history of this. Uh, you, you, some of you probably know Mads Palsvig, who uh, has led uh, uh, the critical things that happened in Denmark to oppose the pandemic law in uh, legislation in Denmark early on in the COVID period. Uh, he also, you know, is really person personally responsible for ending the uh, lockdowns in Denmark, which was the first country to do that. And then it all started, started opening up after that. And Mads has told me that, uh, so he's Danish, that uh, Denmark had its own uh, central bank that was not uh, controlled in the same way. And uh, what happened? The British uh, Navy showed up and bombarded the city of Copenhagen for something like 36 days. And uh, this was done under the guise of, you know, fighting Napoleon. It was during the Napoleonic period. They, they supposedly, they did not want the Danes aiding Napoleon. So they sailed in and, and destroyed the city of Copenhagen. And the aftermath of that was that uh, Denmark's Denmark had a new central bank that was in in this system, so they've they've been at this for uh, for a long time. And how do you see this all tying in with the control of the farmlands, David? In light of um, some of the things that we've been talking about, and Andrea has just recently interviewed one of the leaders of the farm protest in Europe. Yes. Well, I think I think we can see that this is full spectrum. The ambition now is um, that there will be no private property. Um, they're quite serious about that. And property is absolutely fundamental to well-being. Um, I, I was with Ed Griffin just recently, and we talked about this, and he noted that... Um, Property has something to do with uh, being able to reproduce, that, that you can observe a sense of ownership in other species, even mammals, birds, they have their place, they have their stuff, and it, it affects their ability to reproduce. If you, if you take away uh, property, we, we know that you can't have a, a free liberal society in the original sense of the word liberal, uh, which has been been perverted. Um, and it, it, it affects um, it affects us deeply in terms of our vulnerability if our property is taken. So they're yes, they're they're working on on 
taking land. There are different, many ways to do it. As you noted, Lee, even if you paid off your property, but you're liable to pay taxes, you can lose it. This is an old British, you know, way of taxing, taxing people off their land. It happened in the depression, of course. Um, I'm told that down in Australia and New Zealand, they are dematerializing um, deeds and um, uh, causing the townships to become indebted and to pledge the rate base, the tax base, to the secured creditors. Now, what that means is if you go into a an economic uh, uh, collapse um, that these private entities, the secured creditors, will be able to uh, take over uh, the the um, property tax base and raise it to whatever level they like, and ultimately to take the property from people. And this is what I mean by uh, you know, saying ultimately there's no place to hide from this. We just have to, we have to stop it. We can't let this continue the way it's going. And, you know, the taking of farmland, of course, uh, there is a food security aspect to that that's uh, very real. What's being done in uh, uh, my friend uh, James Patrick has done a film called Nitrogen 2000 about the insane program in the Netherlands to eliminate nitrogen <laughs> and nitrogen is a good thing. We absolutely have to have that for producing food, but that now like carbon dioxide, but it, it's even clearer with nitrogen that if you're trying to eliminate that, you are really going after the food supply of people. Well, and that, that is the goal. I mean, as a biologist, before I went into medicine, it was clear that nitrogen and carbon dioxide are critical to survival of all life on the planet because of the the entire cycle and this is it's it's not just insane it it goes it's bigger than that david insanity implies something we can't control mental illness insanity is something we can't control. This is all controlled and designed, and it is truly malevolent and evil and Machiavellian. It is all of those things. And one of the things that we're seeing with the situation in Europe and the farmland, at least the European farmers are standing up against this. Andrea, you've just interviewed the one of the major people involved in organizing that what what are some of the key points that he made well uh, yes i had the interview and uh, he explained the history how uh, came to this that uh, this uh, international corporations took over control of the land uh, they done it already from the first world war and now they are continuing and and in a moment uh, farmers realize that it is the last step to take over whole land and they will do it through corporations who owns the death of these farmers uh, with the legislative things they uh, cut all uh, return on investment to farmers during the last couple of decades and now 
they have big debts to the same financial institution that David was talking about, and they cannot provide any more return on investment. At the same time, from the other side, corporation who took over control of seeds and fertilizers are controlling completely their crop. And now they are pressed from both sides. One side, it's somebody who controlling seeds, genetically modified seeds and fertilizers. From the other side, they have financial institutions who took over their uh, uh, loans, took over their debts. And European Commission, at the same time, talking about um, saving planet from the climate changes, and they want to regulate more this producing of uh, food, and they don't have any option than protest. And I think, because that's inside the information, that farmers realize that this fight has to be until the end. And I hope they will continue. For now, I know that almost all uh, members of European Union are now uh, participate in this protest against Brussels and their policies. And you can see, of course, you cannot see it on the mainstream media. And that's one of the uh, proof that they're on the right side. But you can see it on the um, um, social network that they are protesting everywhere, especially in Brussels, on the main square, uh, in France, um, Paris is blocked with the farmers and Germany, same thing, uh, even in um, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland, that means on the islands. And I hope that they will um, continue because I see that uh, they're not quitting with this, uh, you will eat the bugs. Uh, and uh, I know that uh, they have a plan how to do it, but we'll see. I s invite everybody to see this interview because we explain in detail all history, present moment, and what we can do to fight against it. Yes. Very good. And we will include the link to that interview in the show notes today. David, what are your thoughts about? Well, I want to follow on with what Andrea was just saying about what can we do to fight against it? This is very, very important. And what is happening right now, I just arrived back from South Dakota yesterday, and um, there is an action underway in the legislature there, little South Dakota. It will be the first attack, the first effort to reverse the key law in the Uniform Commercial Code, which enables the taking of the property. So this is beginning. The first place it is happening is in South Dakota. It is happening right now. As you can imagine, there is a very concerted pushback from the banking lobby trying to prevent this from ever, ever being heard in the legislature. Um, so I encourage people to tune into that. There are very heroic people, very intelligent, very capable people that are working on this in, uh, in South Dakota. If you look at my website for thegreattaking.com, there's a button, Action, 
which is about this, that this, this, this has been implemented in local law. The key subversion is in local law, both in all 50 states and in the, U in the US and in the individual nations in Europe. And the reversion can be done in local law. That is how to unwind this. So let me speak about that, how simple this is. And there are parallels, I know, from what they did in Sweden and what they did in the UCC law in, in the US. So this is how simple it is. They have a paragraph, this is in Article 8 of the UCC, where they say in black and white that the entitlement holders have priority over the secured creditors. So in the legislative comment, when they were enacting this in the 90s, they represented to people that this was to assure the rights of people to their property. So they're, they're calling them entitlement holders, and maybe eventually we will un unwind that. But, but the, the, the key thing is they're saying entitlement holders have priority over the secured creditors. Then you go to the bottom of the paragraph, and it says, except... Then you go to the next section, which is the exception. And again, it says entitlement holders have priority over the secured creditors. So people that don't read very far, and this has been read out in the, in the, in the committee in the South Dakota legislature as a way of dismissing this. You then have to go to the third level where you actually see where the exceptions are. And what it says is except when the secured creditor has control. So when the secured creditor has control, the secured creditor has priority over the entitlement holders. And what happens with the indirect holding system, they always have control 100% of the time. The, the second exception is when the secured creditor is a creditor of a clearing entity. And we haven't talked about that, but this severing of um, the uh, property rights to the securities, the pooled nature of them, what they've been able to do is to use all of this collateral, what they, as they say, FOP, free of payment and without restriction. And what that did was to enable the growth in the entire derivatives bubble. Now, you won't hear this elsewhere, but that is, that is what happened by making these changes. So you would wonder, derivatives, derivative contracts outstanding in the early 2000, when I was worried about it, were about two times global GDP. By 2007, they were 10 times global GDP. So they went from two to 10 times in five years. Now it's probably something like 20 times global GDP, maybe, maybe more. Um, so this, this uh, it is really use of these pooled securities that allowed them to do this. Now this is, this is where it is going. Um, the, they, they, they then used the last financial crisis to create an imperative to centrally clear all of the derivatives contracts. So they are all, when, when institutions enter into these contracts, there's, there's no counterparty. The counterparty is 
the central clearing counterparty. These, these central clearing counterparties are poised to fail. They have essentially no capitalization. The executives in these entities themselves and in associated entities are talking about the possibility that they will fail. They're preparing for the failure of these entities. Now, that comes back to the second exception in the UCC. The secured creditors of a clearing entity always have priority. So when these, when these uh, central clearing counterparties fail, the secured creditors of those entities and only, only the biggest banks will um, have priority to these pools. So this is, this is the architecture, uh, the flow of the, of the uh, property, the collateral from the public to these creditors. Now, let me explain what they have done. This is the colossal sleight of hand. They took property, something that had been property for 400 years. They turned that into a contractual claim which means you have a very weak position in the insolvency. You're an unsecured creditor. Then at the other end of this whole flow of the collateral, they've given the creditors behind these contracts, which never would have had a standing in insolvency because they're contracts. They've given those creditors super priority to take the assets of the public. So it, this is the, the colossal geopolitical strategy behind this. It's just extraordinarily chilling. And I find myself wondering, as you are describing this, how does a mind act in such truly evil ways to destroy lives and and property and the of millions of people you know we recoil at it we we can't accept it but we just have to go back to the first world war and again i tie back to my grandmother and what she was warning about unless you have seen it Personally, it's difficult. It's difficult to comprehend it. And maybe you still can't comprehend it, but she was warning me. The everything that happened in the First World War, essentially, we are still we are still um, uh, tied in that somehow because the same people are behind this. The bankers at that time funded the Bolsheviks. They were literally riding around bankers in military uniforms in the Bolshevik period when they were uh, killing the czar and his family, cutting them up in little pieces and throwing them down a mine shaft. The bankers were there funding them. And those people are still with us. Um, it's, it is, um, it, they're, they're, uh, there is an antipathy toward humanity. Um, 
I, I have a little example of how how that how we might explain that. It's difficult for most of us to understand this, but I I the way I explain it is uh, primates evolved in troops of thirty to eighty individuals. Beyond that, they had the wisdom to split up into another group, and but within that size of individuals there was a nice distribution of abilities and disabilities and they all compensated and synergized. Um, and some percentage of these individuals had this curious lack of empathy toward others. And they didn't mind hurting things and they might've actually enjoyed it. And this wasn't necessarily a maladaptation. It survived because it was an adaptation within, within this uh, system. And so these were individuals that you would take out on your hunting party. Well, first I would say you would know who they were from childhood. You know, the, the, you know them as playmates, who they were. They were well known within a group that size, but you, you would accept them because they were somebody's brother, maybe your own brother. Um, so they were part of the family. And as you, as they grew into adults, you would take them out on the hunting party. They were good at that. But as I say, you wouldn't let them babysit your children. Now, when we, when we go into the period of, of civilization, when you start getting into city states, then you start having the problems with totalitarianism. People like this can, can go unchecked. Now the, 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 problem we have now that is, is facing us is that we have people like this that within a tribe wouldn't have been a problem, but with the inhuman scale of society, it's a problem. But the bigger problem is that we have allowed them to have unlimited funding. That is insane. They, you know, we're always going to have people that are dangerous and have crazy ideas. You create a system or they have created a system where they can run unchecked with unlimited funding. That is what must stop. We can't, we can't let this go on. And it's difficult for people to imagine. I think it begins with unwinding things at the local level, but ultimately the Federal Reserve Act has to be reversed. That's if it can if it can happen in the United States, if the Federal Reserve System can be ended in the United States, we can begin to end this madness. All these all these weaponized things, it's 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 full spectrum. All of that stuff stops if you stop their funding. You're exactly right, and actually, that was one of the things that President John F. Kennedy had said he plan to do and he was assassinated and the fed was one of the things he was just before he was assassinated he talked about ending the cia ending the federal reserve and of course he had announced getting us out of vietnam yes dr well, eden you oh Go ahead. He probably learned a lot in the few years that he had there yes Yes, no, and I think many of the people who have been trying to end the Fed since that time have 
come up against the the massive censorship, persecution, and even loss of life that we've seen in the targeted assassinations of the 60s that you mentioned. Dr. Ian, you had you had a comment. Yeah, just, just a quick comment in response to what David was saying about uh, the, the existence amongst us of, of people we might describe as evil. And I'm reminded of a story uh, told about, I think, Inuits and Laps that live in an extremely aggressive environment in which you simply cannot tolerate someone who is untrustworthy. And in these tribes where, you know, if you slip into the water uh, or fail to get back to your shelter or don't have enough food or fuel, you will die. And so when they discover uh, growing up, you know, usually a young man that is untrustworthy will steal your food, wouldn't pull you out of the water if you slipped in, will screw your wife. What they do, because there's no legal system. Somebody said, well, what do you do with these people? And the person said, we push them off the ice when no one is looking and never mention it again. So that was quite interesting. It's a, you, you know, people know this happens and they have adaptive responses, not suggesting we do that here, but they, they've existed forever. And, and also just to echo David's point of incredulity. Uh, so I'm an expert in say, rational drug design or structure-based design. And I point out that these injections are uh, replete with uh, obvious toxicities, things that are obvious to me, and explain why that is. And you know what? They still often don't believe me. It's uh, it's the most peculiar thing. And I think it's partly fear. One person said to me, if I accept what you've just told me, I will have to accept everything I've been told in life is a lie, and I can't cope. You know, I have young kids. So some people have even disclosed to me, almost really, I know you're, you're right, but I'm not going to accept it. So, and then really just a question for David, uh, maybe we'll get to that. Um, I, I, I'm very naive when it comes to, you know, the sophisticated side of money, but I'm wondering, do you have any advice for us or any comments about decentralized digital currencies? I'm thinking Bitcoin, but there are many others. Are these things that in your mind are traps that have already been set up to catch <laughs> the people who are hedging their bets, or, or is there something in that that might allow us to resist the centralized digital currencies that I think is coming? I um, I have to say, I could be wrong, but um, I don't trust Bitcoin. It just doesn't smell right to me. It's, um, and it it has, you know, it, it has very murky beginnings in the last financial crisis. Um, and then it was given very much a free pass. You watch the body language. Um, central banks, they would come down on something like this immediately and kill it. It would have been made illegal. They did quite the opposite for many years, mm -hmm. like completely untaxed. Then it was allowed to be given quite a bit of media attention and outright promotion. That does not, that's not the right body language. Mm. And when you think about mm. it, there can easily be a back door into this thing. When, when you, when you, uh, so for people to be herded into this, thinking that this is going to protect them, very easily be made unava unavailable. And that's their design. You do not want you to have an alternative. So I, I think it's kind of a blind alley. Mm -hmm. I, what I would say to people, 
sure, you can put some into it. Just don't put everything into it and make sure that you're going to be able to live and eat if you don't have it. Right. No, thank you. That, that's uh, You have much better reasoning. But I, I had also reached that, that conclusion and, and also the same operation thing. Yeah, but I, I have a fair amount of currency, uh, you know, uh, investable funds, and I'm going to put a little bit in. But I ain't going to put millions in because I think I'll lose it anyway. But yeah, there you go. Well, thank you. Know, you. I but appreciate your comments on that too, David, because I, I don't have anything near the sophistication that would be necessary to properly evaluate it. But but it just it never I never trusted it because there there is so much control of everything electronic. It's why would I even consider something like that? when they can monitor every keystroke on my home computer. I, yeah. I thank you for your explanation. Yeah. You have a lot more valid reasons than my gut instincts, but my gut instincts were not good. <laughs> my, my simple thing is get real, you know, with your stuff, <laughs> you know, focus, <laughs> yes. focus on real things and avoid having different layers that you have to go through to get to, you know, someone sent me something yesterday about these poor people that had been convinced in the UK to put all their assets in trusts under some idea that they were protecting their assets by having them in these trusts. And then when they died, all the assets somehow did not go to their children. It, uh, you know, it, it went off to the trustees or went to pay the debts of the trust, which were incurred by other people. So, you know, they're, they're, you have to be very careful about putting things in a, into a structure where it's removed from, it's some steps removed from your immediate control. Good point. Dr. Gilthorpe, you had a comment. Yeah, it was just about uh, di um, um, digital currencies, Bitcoin and, and what have you, Dr. Lee. Well, China clamped down pretty hard on Bitcoin because people were using it to ship money out of China through the back door. And what's going to happen as, as we go in the next few years, the capital controls will come in as countries uh, go into sovereign debt crisis. They can't pay their bills. They will start to control capital, especially in the Europe. So they'll stop you moving money overseas. Uh, and, you know, they will regulate these things. You have to convert your Bitcoin into something else in order to use it, or you can transfer it as Bitcoin. So uh, there's a lot of hubris, I think, in this area. People have made huge gains, and it's like a gold rush. You can make a lot of money, but um, you can also lose everything. You may be taxed on all your profits retrospectively for five or ten years and suddenly have nothing left. So like, as, as David said, go real, get things that you can physically own and use and, and eat or, or trade with people uh, rather than going uh, the other way and trying to make a fortune out of it. Yeah. And it's a good life, you know, build a greenhouse. <laughs> that's, that's, a, those are excellent suggestions. And I, I agree with, all of the points that you've made. 
And that's been the theme of our Faith Over Fear seminar since the spring of 2022, when we saw the assault on the food supply and using a, a fake PCR test to diagnose a chicken with avian flu and then slaughtering millions of chickens based on this false PCR test. I, as soon as I saw that happening, I knew we were headed for some dire problems. And that was when our preparation for the chaos ahead, our whole series of seminars and giving people, teaching people practical skills that a lot of people today have forgotten. I, I grew up at a time when many of my aunts and, and uncles and grandparents had come through the depression and they, they knew how to prepare, get real. My great aunts, I was, as a kid, I was exposed to the fact that they had cows on their land. They had chickens. My grandfather had a huge garden. I had learned to drive a tractor. Now I can't still drive a tractor perhaps, but the point is that I learned a lot of practical skills as a kid that I'm now restarting in raising chickens, for example. So <clears throat> there are many things that people can do in limited space that yes. we now have the ability to do. And I think that's one of our hopeful messages that we'd like to convey to everyone. So David, your your hopeful message in conclusion today as we wrap up our two-part series, thank you so much for taking the time to share your incredible wealth of knowledge and expertise and insight with us. It, it is chilling and yet you are telling us there is local action and there is a way to stand against this. Yes. Please look in the United States, focus on actions at the state level to re reverse the Article 8 and 9, these key things in the Uniform Commercial Code. Look at the website, thegreattaking.com. There's a button for action that is pointing to uh, some groups that are behind these efforts. Um, 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 the the pro-family legislative network, which is in Texas, uh, the Heartland Foundation, which is in Chicago. There are people in, in the Dakotas working on this. There are actions beginning in, in a number of states, but the most important one right now is South Dakota. So if you have a way to encourage legislature or the legislators in the state of South Dakota, that is the most immediate thing you can do. There will be action on this this coming week. Um, so if you have a way to uh, register your interest in this uh, and your concern in South Dakota, please do that. Well, you know, I would like to actually, if there's someone you suggest, I would like to actually give them a platform here on the Whistleblower Report to talk about their efforts and encourage others to take yes. these initiatives forward in other states. We, we, we can do that. We can do that. Let's talk about that offline as to who that would be. Absolutely, I absolutely like to do that. To step up and do that. I'm certainly willing to do that, but you've heard from me. <laughs> so, <laughs> No, I, I think it's critically important. And, and I would add, 
as we always come back to the basics, remember that it is our faith that has made certainly America strong as a Judeo-Christian country by its founders. And we have fallen away from those values and our foundation of faith. And I always call people back to our grounding in faith. And I do sincerely, deeply believe that God is sovereign. God is able to turn this around if we, the people, do our part and turn back to him, as well as take local action. Nothing in the Bible ever says, sit back and pray and wait. There is always an emphasis on individual action in faith and under the rule of law that ultimately comes from our creator. And that is what we need to reestablish. Yeah, I have to say, I, I think, um, you know, I was, I was very disappointed through the whole war on terror period and, uh, uh, you know, much of what's happened over the last 20 years. And we certainly saw it through the COVID period where the organized religions were completely co-opted and controlled. Yes. There is, so, so that has caused a lot of people to disconnect from their religious traditions. Um, but what is happening is people have now, um, they're transcending that and um, coming back in a much more grounded um, uh, way spiritually, because frankly, there's no alternative. That's where we have to face this in that way. I have to say the people that I am in touch with now who are working on this in the U.S., they don't wear it on their sleeve, but I, I think they're I think they're coming out of a very real Christian uh, background. And in that we we have to not be afraid. We have to know that we're going to die. We're mortal. Uh, we're we're the the universe doesn't revolve around your persona. We find our existence and our meaning in something greater than ourselves. And um, this is that kind of a time. It's that profound. Um, so the the spiritual aspect of this is um, is essential. Powerfully and beautifully said, and that is ultimately the foundation of all that we do at Truth for Health Foundation. And it certainly has been an important foundation for my career in medicine as well. Thank you all for joining us, David. Thank you for your generous gift of your time and expertise for these two programs. And I would like to support the efforts uh, that are underway in South Dakota, give them a platform and include information in our newsletter to help people understand that this is the way that we stand against evil. Thank you all for joining us today. Check out our website, truthforhealth.org. This is Dr. Lee for America.
silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Do not be silent any longer. Join the crusade of those who are seeking to restore our individual liberty, lives, and property as our creator designed us.